Sounds good. Hello, everybody. My name is Tony Heil, and this is the You Should Run podcast. If you've listened to episodes in the past, and I hope you have, you know that I've spoken with people from across the country, uh, from Maine to Hawaii, from Alaska to South Florida, every state, every level of office, from uh, borough council like myself up to U.S. Senate. And um, today I'm going back to a really cool state, a swing state, uh, which I don't understand why it's a swing state. And that's what I'm going to find out today. Uh, the state of Nevada. And I'm going to talk to uh, Assemblyman Edgar Flores and learn his story and share it with you. And hopefully everyone that listens will be encouraged to run for office themselves. Uh, just to start, Edgar was elect- has been in office for about seven years now, I believe. And uh, he has an interesting personal story. And I think it's going to be inspiring to anyone listening. So, Edgar, thank you so much for talking today. And thank you for, for doing this, and thank you for allowing me to join you. I look forward to it. So, I uh, this podcast is called You Should Run, and uh, you know how important it is in Nevada to have not just Democrats or Republicans or Independents, but good people run for office. Uh, but everyone's got their starting point. When Have you always been politically minded given your background and the work you do or did something happen in your life when you were younger where you're like I got to pay attention to this sure well so growing up I was that kid in high school who was involved in a lot of clubs Uh, but my my focus has always been very community service oriented Mm -hmm. well every club we're, we're, we're talking about graffiti cleanup cleaning up parks mentorship that's what I've done my whole life. That's kind of what I've always been into. And namely because I, I'm first generation uh, uh, going to college, first generation graduated from high school. Um, and that, that meant a lot to me. Uh, more importantly, uh, recognizing that I didn't do that alone. Right. And so I'm indebted to a whole host of people. And, and it wasn't always necessarily people in my immediate family. Um, it was mentors folk who kind of stepped up and said, Edgar, hey, I see that you're interested in this. Let me help you. Mm-hmm. I see you like that. And uh, those mentors uh, were instrumental to me. And so I've always felt that I had a need to kind of give back, even at a very young age, even when I was in high school, I just, I, I felt that I had that responsibility. I never, ever thought I'd run for office, to be honest. It wasn't until uh, there was a vacancy uh, and I was running a mentoring program. I, I've been involved with mentorship programs since 2004. Uh, and in 2000, uh, 2012, I was running a program and there was students that I was working with. Uh, what I would do is I would bring in folk from around the community that they would identify with, either because they had a similar story, they looked like them, they could identify with them. And I would always tell the students, these are your leaders, you know, and you got to be the ones to step up. And they kind of, flipped it on me a little bit and they told me, well, you know, when are you going to step up? When are you Mm going to run? Um, And I think uh, that's the first time I ever actually thought about it. Uh, Later down the road uh, in 2014, there was a vacancy uh, in the district that I'm in now, Assembly District 28, that's Northeast Las Vegas. And uh, the students along with uh, friends of mine, community members, they kind of collectively came around me and said, look, we'd like for you to step up and try this. Um, and you know, years down the road, we're still here. So I know a lot of people when they run for office, they have been involved in a campaign before, maybe they volunteered or worked as a person or worked in someone's office. Did you ever, was, was that your first real like jump into the campaign world too? 
So no, I, I, I had in the past, um, in the past, I had the opportunity to run and help uh, work in not, uh, nonpartisan mm-hmm. organizations where the idea was that we would help educate voters on both candidates or all five candidates, whatever race we were looking at, and then just educating the community on their particular stances so that people could decide for themselves. Um, That was really my first real exposure to that. Um, And I think that's kind of what made me comfortable, number one, with running a campaign, understanding um, how to work a precinct, how to cut turf, Mm -hmm. how to get volunteers, uh, so I had that in my back pocket already through the nonpartisan work. I then later had the opportunity to work uh, a partisan race where we were educating uh, folk up and down the ballot on, on issues, particularly involving the Democratic Party. Uh, and then afterwards, I uh, ended up doing it for myself. Yeah, I mean, I, my experience with other myself and so many people is you don't know what you're getting into, really, when, when you get into politics and getting campaigning. Uh, but one thing from what you're just saying is you talk to these people as mentors and they're like, why don't you do it? Obviously, representation means a lot. What and Nevada is a pretty diverse state in a lot in a ways that people don't probably recognize, right? Like, what does that representation mean, not just for you, but maybe for other communities in Nevada? So I'll say this. Um, I grew up in a household that was pretty conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, they highly align themselves with the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, and they come from just this notion that work your butt off and things will work out. And we've known that that's not always true. You know, luck and resources and connections has a lot to do with that because you could have 40 people working equally as hard and then some would just be better positioned. Um, and a lot of that comes into play. I say that because that's kind of where I, I that's my, my immediate background growing up. Um, just get up, wake up, start working, you know, keep your head down. And that's how, that's how we make uh, life work. Uh, and then I went, I transitioned from that to just kind of seeing things and recognizing, look, at, at times my family needed help at times, um, we needed government services. We stood in those long lines getting the, the free grocery bags. And that's because, you know, my parents came to this country in the 80s uh, fleeing a, a very difficult situation in Mexico. And they find themselves here. And while they're very proud humans, and, and I, I appreciate that aspect of them, I always forced them to acknowledge that we needed help. And, mm-hmm. and we did. At times, we, we it wasn't just us being self-made families. Um, it was services like things when we sit in those lines, getting those groceries, things like where we, I could qualify for my glasses and things like that. That was so instrumental. So I always felt indebted to my family because of their sacrifice and hard work. But I also felt indebted to this country. Right. And I was born here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have this kind of dual uh, 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 cultural uh, uh, baggage that I, I, I wear in my back. I felt indebted to this government because I, I recognized how much they did for my family. And I felt indebted to my family because of how much they sacrificed. So I always felt somewhere in the middle. Um, through that lens, uh, growing up, I was very involved with, like I said, I've always done mentorship programs and things like that. I once went to the Latin Chamber of Commerce and I asked for help 
to get some money for a project that we were working on. They said, we don't donate to that. Sorry, but we have a job opening. I was a, a, a young kid uh, who had very, uh, I would say, very consistent views that tend to move a little bit left in the spectrum. Uh, and then I, I had mentors who were hardcore Republicans who took me in and started talking to me about business and started talking to me about uh, uh, access to uh, banks, ensuring that you have a foundation to build off of when it comes to opening uh, your small business. Because with the Land Chamber of Commerce, one of the things we saw a lot was folk who had been saving all their money and then taking that huge leap to open that restaurant or whatever small business. And because of that lack of that 101, and they didn't have a foundation, unfortunately failed. And so I, I started, uh, uh, I always jokingly tell them, they, they made me into the Democrat I am today, and they laugh. But I, I, I have this very strong appreciation for diverse thought, diverse background, diverse uh, a, a pathway of where we've gone collectively to the same table whether we do it at different stages in our life. I think that's an instrumental. That's what this country is. Mm -hmm. But it's also the way I've been molded. Um, I didn't come from a traditional anything. I've, I've been able to pick from so many different amazing uh, mentors of mine today that have allowed me to say, look, I can see the good here and I can see the good there and I can see the flaws here and I can see the flaws there. Um, and try to keep that centered uh, perspective that I think is important. I mean, that's what this country is. Uh, we're not anything too far in any direction uh we're a mixture of everything and depending on the subject i may be way over here i might be way over there and that's just that's normal yeah and you know the way you're talking about it kind of defines what i think is the democratic party is recognizing and acting towards the um interconnectedness of all things whether it's you, know, you have the environment you have criminal justice you have the economy none of those exist in a silo all of those things and people are connected and it sounds like that's kind of what brought you to politics and the party absolutely and you know one of the things that i've also have learned to appreciate is uh that it's okay to not always be okay with the platform of any one particular mm -hmm. party. Um, and, and I think that's important. And also to hold each other accountable. I, you know, if, if we're consistently pointing the finger at everyone else as to why something isn't working, then we fail to recognize that, well, we're in power. We're in this position. We're elected. We have a responsibility to hold ourselves accountable. Um, and I think part of the reason that I, we often talk about Nevada being a swing state is that number one, we do have a rural community that has a very specific approach to politics versus our, our cities. Um, number one, but more importantly, the, the diversity that we talk about that exists, for example, in Southern Nevada, doesn't necessarily exist in other areas of Nevada. So you have these different clashes culturally, um, but also just how we live, you know, uh, our form of living, you know, you have folk who wake up every day at four in the morning and, and jump on a horse to take care of business. And then you have the same people that do every single day waking up at four in the morning to go to a casino and handle business there. So um, I think that's part of the reason why we have such a rich cultural diversity here in the state of Nevada. You have a rich diversity of culture there, but also that people don't think about because I think about that one little dot in the state and they forget that it's the whole thing. But yep. not a lot of people live in those other parts, right? You got like. 
a bajillion people Absolutely. here, this little place, and a couple other places. But um, from my every year when I watch the elections in Nevada, whether it's the Senate years or it's the um, presidential election, uh, it comes down to the unions a lot too, the culinary union especially in the work. It seems like of all the parties, Nevada Democratic Party is even more so a working class party. Is that kind of a driving force where you guys can't do anything if you guys as you can't be a person here it's like the litmus test is to be a working class candidate more than anything else right i agree with that and so for example in the district that i'm in um when we talk about who's there we have ivw so our electrical workers we have teamsters we have um sheet metal at some point the laborers uh, Leuna had their uh, headquarters there. And, and by the way, I, I failed to mention this. I mean the headquarters, that they have their actual facilities there where mm -hmm. they're training. Um, and then Culinary, uh, though their headquarters are not there, uh, some of their largest membership live in my district. Um, so it, for me, specifically in my district, um, not only, I, I would say it's a requirement. Uh, you know, I, I think you, you must have had either that background that you come from a union, you uh, grew up in a family with folk who uh, uh, were union members, or you yourself are just kind of going through that very hardworking class approach and that you don't necessarily have that disconnect that often uh, we hear in politics, right? Folk that have our generational politicians who have had uh, access to a wealth of things. I think in, in, in this particular area of town, uh, there's a responsibility that you identify with the incredibly hardworking Nevadans we have here. So, but you have that kind of mentality as a party and as a person um, in politics. Uh, you're on a state legislative level, and, you know, people often, they come out to vote for president. Um, maybe they vote for governor or senator. Um, but, you know, what are the issues that you can get done on a state level that not only have you been working on, but you think you're able to be successful in doing Sure. You know, one of the biggest things that I consistently push back on, and I remember having a friendly debate um, with folk that I'm, I highly respect uh, from our law school. I remember the, our, our law school here at UNLV, William S. Bush School of Law. I remember there was a conversation and we were having, we engaged in a conversation regarding specifically immigration. Um, and we, we have this natural tendency of punting the responsibility, saying, well, that's a federal thing. And mm -hmm. I think everything can be federal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, that's true. Um, but I, I feel that if we don't put a sense of responsibility in ourselves, then we will naturally dismiss things as what we can actually do and we cannot do. Um, and so, for example, this just this past session, uh, we just finished our legislative session in June. Um, we saw work being done around helping fund different pro bono uh, clinics that will help folk who are going through their immigration process. I use that little example only to point out that I, I come from a, a, a school or an ideology that everything is local. Everything is local. Even if, even if it, it, it involves namely federal laws, everything is local. So, for example, uh, I have a very heavy emphasis because uh, right now I'm in my law office, so I practice immigration law. Um, and I, I believe that we have a strong responsibility to small businesses as somebody that has a responsibility of ensuring that we have 15 employees here that can go home and, 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 you know, 
make a reasonable living and can continue to grow with as the business is growing uh, is very important to me. I think it's incredibly important that we do not dismiss the fact that no business is anything without their employees, which goes back to the conversation we were having before and that obligation and responsibility that we have to ensure that we have strong union membership. And, and it's not because unions are perfect. Mm-hmm. I've, I've made this argument multiple times. You can be pro-business and pro-union, and you can call out a, a, a business owner who maybe has predatory business practices or employee practices, just like you can call out a union if, if you ever feel like they're intimidating or bullying somebody. I think you can find that middle ground. I've been able to successfully, I feel like I've been able to navigate that and, and recognize that we, we do that. I think it's incredibly important right now in the state of Nevada, we have a huge issue with our health uh, uh, system. We have folk who are waiting too long, and this is a nationwide issue, as we all know, waiting too long to be able to go see their doctor, having a difficult time uh, qualifying and getting insurance and making sure that it's affordable. Um, we have a huge issue with education. As you know, um, consist- consistently the state of Nevada has ranked poorly when it comes to our education, and there's a whole host of reasons for that. I think that's where all of us as legislators, both as members of the Assembly and Senate, can work collectively, because you'll never meet a Republican or a Democrat who disagrees that we have to do more about that. Now, we disagree on the approach, and you've heard of this conversation many times before, um, but the, the, the bottom line is we have a strong sense of urgency in ensuring that uh, our education and access to health care are probably the top two issues in the state of Nevada, and that's probably true in most states, uh, where we can uh, immediately effectuate some change there, uh, both through... Uh, fortunately, some of the, the, the federal funding that's coming down, um, that we can put it back to plug some of those holes where yeah, last year was horrible, right? No yeah. state was making any money. And Especially we found savior. ourselves with, in, in a budgetary crisis. So luckily, some of that federal money will be able to help plug some of those holes immediately. Um, and I think we start in those two areas. And then we after that, we kind of work our way out into other important issues. But I think those are the two most important ones. And I think that's what we're collectively focused on as a state. Well, collectively focused on as a state. And I've noticed, and maybe I'm wrong because I'm far away. Um, I've only been to Vegas once and I would like to go again. Um, but <laughs> Please come. I would love to get, convince my wife. Uh, but, <laughs> um, so, uh, but it seems like the Nevada Democrats, um, maybe not the party, I don't know, but as a, as a legislative team, just seem very united more so than they had been in the past or other um, places have. And it seems like, uh, like you said, urgency, your party, your governor and yourselves seem to be there to not just kind of pass the time, but you guys have been pretty um, taking that urgency seriously, right? Getting a lot done. And I'm asking that for a reason after your response, but um, have you, have you noticed that? Or is it like a team atmosphere, not one against the other, but just like, Let's work together and really make use of the time we have. I think that's specifically true in the the last few years. Mm -hmm. Um, Number one, the pandemic reminded everybody what really matters. I think all of us collectively, just as a country, as a community, um, we're kind of sitting there realizing and and kind of creating priorities within ourselves as to what really matters. You know, what are we really doing? I think as elected officials, we have this sense of responsibility that, number one, other folks should put on us, and they should, and they demand that we do more. But then also, when you start questioning, what are you doing here? Because, for example, during the legislative session, 
often you'll see things that are very symbolic. Mm-hmm. I have nothing against that. That's great. You know, sim- symbolism and doing things that um, feel good are, are important for a whole host of reasons. But I do think that this session, uh, a lot of us kind of walked in there saying, we're in the middle of a pandemic. What truly matters? And it's focused all the energy on doing that right. Ensuring that we get our, our small businesses back to work. Ensuring that our, our employees are safe and, and can work in an environment where we're not exposing them or their family members to anything. Um, ensuring that people feel comfortable visiting our state. Ensuring that uh, the big industries that we have, that we're still uh, empowering them, like our mining industry, our gaming industry. These are very important industries to us. Um, and while we can hold them accountable and say we want you to do more, and they did. They stepped up in a whole host of ways. I mean, they, they were vaccinating folk from uh, parking garages. Um, uh, a lot of these casinos were. So saying that at the same time, saying we now have a responsibility to you, making sure that we're not putting too much of a burden on you. Uh, so uh, you'll see that. You'll you'll see a lot of instances where the governor was just now. Today I couldn't go. But just today the governor was in my district working with small businesses who uh, uh, qualified for some uh, much needed help and relief. And he was out here checking to see how these benefits were working and, and helping them. And they reached out collectively. Hey, Edgar, we're going to be in your district. We want you to be there. That's the type of collaboration that we're talking about. The governor calling an assemblyman directly or a senator or talking to different uh, heads of leadership, working with the unions, the community, uh, uh, nonprofits. Uh, that type of structural organization is, number one, the way you give voice and empower the community at large. And number two, it's the way you actually organize. Um, often we work in silos and working in silos has, I think, been detrimental uh, throughout mm-hmm. the country because you have 14 different people, 14 different organizations doing the same exact thing. Um, it's when you start working collectively and almost like a puzzle that you realize uh, you can achieve the objectives much faster and you can stop replicating and wasting energy where, uh, where we do that often. And then instead of having 14, you have two. And then the other 12 that are left can start using and channeling their resources and energy in a different way. And I think Nevada has been very successful in doing that to where other states have reached out and asked, how do we replicate some of these models? Well, one model that seems a little bit um, challenging not for Nevada and for other states is to get on that team. And it's hard to run for office. But it's also hard to be in office. You're an attorney. You have a, you have another job that you can have to, as your main income. Uh, it's a sacrifice of time and resources, right? How do we make it easier and attractive to someone to be in office? Because, you know, if I was someone that had a regular job, a working person, uh, I wouldn't want to be a legislator because I don't have the time or the, the uh, flexibility to have that kind of job, which kind of narrows the amount of people who will do it. Absolutely. And, and specifically in the state of Nevada, we're a part-time legislature. Right. And what that means is we, we meet every other year for 120 days. And in 120 days, for two years, we're expected to do everything the state needs. Um, I mention that because at some point we have to have a real serious conversation about having a full-time legislature. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that because we're often ineffective and inadequate. And it's not because we are unwilling to put in the time. It's just as a part-time legislator how can you adequately give the constituency what they deserve, which is your full-time attention, your full-time energy. Um, And I I think at some point we have to move in that direction. But what that means and where the conversation gets scary 
is there is this perception, and I think it's not just in Nevada nationwide, that politicians get paid too much money and that because they get paid so much money, they, they'll do anything to keep that check. And, and so I'll counter that, and I, and I get that perspective, but I'll counter it by saying right now a legislator makes about $7,000. I think it's $8,000 what a legislator mm-hmm. gets paid. Um, so nobody can live off of that. Um, so right now it's really more of community service, right? It's, it's a part-time, really minimal part-time job that demands a lot of your energy and, and focus. So who ends up signing up for this then? You end up getting either folk that are retired or folk that are rich or very wealthy who are in a position to be able to do that. And and you want some of them because you want that. You want folk who have been out there and have done a lot of great things in the community to come back and give that knowledge to the state. But at the same time, if you want to uh, engage new, creative, innovative uh, members of the community, younger folk, um, or just folk that come from different walks of life, teachers and all that. And we do have teachers, but mm-hmm. it's a tremendous sacrifice for them. If you want to get more of that type of population, then there has to be a financial incentive for them to be able to do it to where they can still feed their kids and take care of the uh, responsibilities of being a legislator. And that's where we as a, a society have to decide, do we agree with that? Do we agree that by paying uh, uh, politicians more, in the state of Nevada, because other states maybe the, the, they have the pay as well. But if, if it's not good here, if you if you actually put on paper the offer of saying, here's what you can actually make, then you're going to attract talent, you're going to attract diversity, and you're going to attract folk from different walks of life that normally wouldn't come into the space because it doesn't uh, financially make sense. And that's where, as a community, we have to collectively and holistically say, does that make sense? Or do we continue with the model we have now, which is only really folk who are retired or who come from wealth or who are willing to make a tremendous sacrifice to, to do this and get no pay? And that's where we have to balance. Or if you're a realtor you might, or a car salesman, like there's certain jobs where you have that flexibility, but right. a lot of people don't have that. But, you know, if you have – you rely on another income, that's where your, your, your loyalties might lie sometimes. It doesn't make you a bad person even. It just – you know, if you told someone, hey, you work at um, this company, they're going to be like, well, I got to take care of that more than anything else. I can't vote against my needs, my family needs, that kind of thing. Um, but you also, you talk about how the governor reaches out to you and you work with the community. So you see a lot of local government as well. And there are 500,000 elected offices in this country, which sounds like a lot, but there's 350 million people in the country. Uh, what, why should people decide now that they should run for office, whether it's in Nevada or anywhere, what are you seeing where you're like, man, we, we need people to see just like you did, that they need to be in those positions of power. So the most important thing that I tell folk, specifically individuals who have struggled in life, either because of financial circumstances, because they've gone through um, some hardship, um, or just because they've experienced just something that is completely unnatural to the typical suit and tie. Um, My biggest frustration is the notion of having a conversation collectively, 42 members of the assembly, and that you look around the room and you ask yourself, how many folk out of this collective group have ever experienced the evenings of, how am I going to pay the bills? Mm-hmm. I can't take my, my kid can't go on that field trip because I can't afford it. 
I can't afford my hospital bill, that the very first thing instinctively that happens to them when somebody gets sick is not where do I take them to get care, but rather how much is it going to cost us and can we do it? Because that's the majority of Nevadans. That is the majority of uh, uh, Americans. That's who has to be in that room. And when you're looking at that room and that room is not majority composed of the individuals that are most impacted by our uh, decision making, then there is a, 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 a problem. And so every time the TV turns on and you see an elected official, every time you go to a town hall, every time you get a letter from an elected official and you do not identify or do not see your story represented, that is the moment that you should ask yourself, maybe I should step up. Um, you're needed. Your voice is absent at the table. And the reality is your voice is probably more consistent with the majority of the folk you live around and the state than the folk that are getting elected. And I, you know, I am very proud of what Nevada's done. As you know, we were the first uh, uh, woman majority uh, in the country in our legislature. Obviously, that's a huge, huge, huge accomplishment and all the merit and, and uh, uh, thank you should go to a lot of very strong organizations who are focused on creating a pipeline and a bridge so that powerful, uh, uh, capable women can, can make their way into that building. And so that obviously there's a huge investment that went into that. But I would say, uh, and the, the biggest thing that I maybe had to taught myself was it's intimidating because you think you have to know all the right elected officials, you have to kiss all the right rings um, in order to get into this world. And I, I'll say admittingly, I didn't come from politics I didn't even know when I first ran for office that we had such a thing as a, a caucus mm -hmm. and went through an endorsement process that you could apply for it and get endorsed. I didn't know that. Um, I just said, look, I have family, friends, folk around me. They set stuff up. And I think that's the right way. I think that's the way people should step up. It's when, when you see the need and then there's folk around you saying, go for it. We want you to do it. I, I, I think that's probably the strongest sense of empowerment that you can get that people around you want you to step up. Um, but uh, I, I mentioned that just because the intimidation that goes into first running and how scary it is, is common. There isn't a single person that's ever run for office for the first time who didn't go through the, can I do this? Am, am I approachable? Am I somebody who can sell uh, 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 X, Y, and Z to let them know that I'm actually a part of their team Am I somebody who will be able to come into this unfamiliar world and bring something of value? Every single individual goes through that identity slash mm -hmm. uh, uh, what they call the imposter syndrome, right? right? I, I was talking uh, to my wife about so, that for her other job. Like, yeah, it's you're right. I, I, feel, I think everyone I know in politics feels that. If they don't, then that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just want to yeah, – as you say, you're not only talking about like what perspective isn't there in terms of the immediate impact or the long-term impact. Um, and I just want to bring this up before um, I run out of time with you is um, I was on a call with uh, local elected leaders to talk about what we could do as a county for climate change. And it's, there are great people that's bipartisan and some people were saying, oh, let's make this the goal. And we're those of us who are younger and I'm not that young, I'm older than you. Um, we're like, well, no, let's just go for what the, the science says should be the goal, even if it's hard to accomplish. That's what we need to do. Uh, you're looking at some of these things where certain people who are in office are likely never going to feel the impact of those long-term consequences because 
they will not be around 30 years from now. So we need to get more. That's a good reason to get more young people involved, which I know is important to you as well. Absolutely. And, and that's, you know, that's been part of my mission is, is uh, creating a strong pipeline so that anybody feels that they can do this. And, and specifically what you're saying is so, so important. Um, every generation sees the world differently and they should because there's different things that we've experienced. We now having gone through the pandemic will have a very unique approach to certain things because that's shaped and sculpted how we think now and approach issues. And now we anticipate things like that now, right? When we're reading contracts, when we're talking about things now today, you'll see people saying, well, wait a minute, if there's ever a pandemic. We've got to make sure we do this. We do that because it's everything's so fresh. Um, getting young people involved is it has three huge benefits. Number one, the older generation of the folk who are there in leadership will pass on that institutional knowledge. And that's incredibly mm -hmm. powerful. Number two, the younger folk are bringing a perspective and a voice to the table that is always absent, consistently absent in decision-making rooms. And number three, and most importantly, the younger we empower folk, mm -hmm. the better off we're going to be as a community. That is my bottom line. The younger they are when we empower them, the stronger our community is going to be as they move into those ranks. Just like you were empowered when you were a young person and people were doing that to you as an interconnected community. Um, I really appreciate that. Um, lastly, uh, first, I'm sorry about the Golden Knights. I was rooting for them. Um, as a Penguin fan, as, as a long time, I'm glad that you have my favorite goalie in sports. So you, And I hope that you guys can win soon because everyone I know that's been to a Knights game um, loves them. And uh, so I'm rooting for you next year. <laughs> um, but uh, in a serious note, people might be inspired, want to listen to you and get in touch, maybe learn about how they can run for office. How can they follow you on social media and learn more about your story and uh, what they should consider? Sure. So Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Edgar Flores, and V E D G A R F L O R E S N V, like Nevada, Edgar Flores, and V. Um, you can follow me on all three of them. And I'll say this. Um, and this is probably my favorite story to share. When, when I, when folk reached out to me for the presidential election and said, we need help. Um, I talked to the Biden campaign here locally and I told them, I want to do something called a cavalgata, which is a, a horse parade, uh, in Spanish, because in the area that I, I represent, we have a huge, uh, uh, Latino, Latina slash, uh, a horse community and they've never felt empowered. And mm -hmm. I went to them and I said, let's do a horse parade. We're going we're gonna to do a horse parade to the polls. Uh, and folk who had never voted, even though they're U.S. citizens and or folk who have voted, but they never felt that they ever were part of that structure of getting people to the polls um, came out. And I, I just say that because whatever your identity is, whether it's riding a horse, a motorcycle, fixing things, doing this, doing that, that is your identity wear it with the badge of honor and let that be your form of politics. Everything we do is political. Mm -hmm. Everything. And so stop trying to be that type of politician, be you and bring it to the forefront of politics. Uh, we saw so many empowered individuals on a horse being themselves, doing nothing different, but finally there was a camera and a microphone on them. 
And so I, I'll leave you with that. You, you have a voice and you have a right to be heard. I, I really appreciate it. I encourage everyone, if they can, to follow Edgar. Uh, he's got a great voice and he's encouraging others to use theirs as well. Uh, thank you and uh, have a great summer. Thank you. Have a great vacation. I will. I will. By the, by the time this gets up, I think my vacation will be over and hopefully I'll be able to tell people about it. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you again for the invite. I get up, I get down, and I'm jumping around, and the rumpus and rug get so comfortable now. Been a hell of a ride, but I'm thinking it's time to grow. So I got an apartment across from the park, put quinoa in my fridge, still I'm not feeling great. Been a hell of a ride, but I'm thinking it's time to go. Here we go. Taxes are due. Do my password begin with a one or a two? Been a hell of a ride, but I'm thinking it's time to grow. Metronome. Man, I'm up to something. Booty la do Thank you all for coming. I hope you like the show, cause it's on a budget. So Woody la di do yeah. Come on, here we go, yeah. Come on, here we go. Whatever.